0: Coming up next, return, best practices, managing spikes and secondary spikes. What are people thinking? How people's health behaviors are changing and what people are doing. During this panel, we'll be hearing from Jen Butler, chief marketing officer from Metasafe. and Brennan Lake, senior director of research partnerships and data for good at Cubic. Medisafe is the leading digital therapeutics company for medication management with almost 7 million users across iOS and Android smartphones and tablets, arming providers and payers with information about patient compliance and related behaviors. Cubic is a location intelligence platform providing first-party location-based analytics and measurement. Through its Data for Good program, Cubic provides access to aggregated data for COVID-19 research and response efforts, And now, please welcome your moderator for the panel, AWS Data Exchange Global Business Development Leader, Healthcare and Life Sciences, Dr. Fred Lee.
1: Okay, so building on uh, some of the themes from the last session, uh, we'll have uh, some very unique uh, views from the data. Uh, Brennan uh, from Cubic will talk about uh, geolocation data um, and really the insights that you can gain from that. And then Jen Butler will talk about how people are uh, modifying their health behaviors uh, from the insights that they get from their users on the MetaSafe app itself. So, Brennan, I'll hand off to you.
2: Um, So, as Fred mentioned, I'm Brennan Lake, and I'm the director of the Data for Good program at Cubic. Uh, Cubic is a location intelligence platform where we host a large database of accurate, precise, and first-party location data and we collect data anonymously through smartphone apps where users provide informed consent and opt-in to sharing their location data anonymously uh, through a CCPA and GDPR-compliant framework. On the commercial side, Cubic uh, supports various markets, for example, by measuring visitation and foot traffic to retail stores and sectors or measuring the effectiveness of advertising in driving various offline consumer behavior. Uh, What I do in running our Data for Good program, on the other hand, is to provide aggregate data to support academic research and humanitarian initiatives related to human mobility. So in, I would call normal times, these use cases range from things like urban development, and natural disaster response, for example, monitoring evacuations during hurricanes or wildfires, uh, and epidemiology as well. But quite naturally in the past six months, our focus has shifted quite heavily towards epidemiology and specifically COVID-19. Early on in the pandemic, we started to form what we call a data collaborative in which we invited some of our trusted partners across academia, the humanitarian sector, and the public sector, to be able to provide them with aggregated mobility data to support research around COVID-19 and social distancing policies, and also to inform public policy around different non-pharmaceutical interventions related to COVID-19 and mobility. Uh, Here on the right, you can see some of the institutions we've been providing data to. On On the academic side, we've been providing data to trusted partners at Oxford University, MIT, Northeastern University of Virginia, and more. Uh, And then in the public sector, we've been partnering with UNICEF, the World Bank, and more recently, the CDC as well. Across all of these collaborations, the way that these organizations have been using mobility data for COVID analysis, uh, and likewise, the the products that we've developed around COVID-19, I would say center around four main KPIs. (laughs) excuse me, on how mobility data is best suited for COVID-19 research and policy input. And the first is really just measuring how much people are moving around through something that in technical terms is called the radius of gyration. And in simpler terms, is just understanding the median distance traveled of users within certain areas like counties. Uh, And an extension of that is looking at, you know, not only are people traveling two versus 10 kilometers per day in, the, in a given county, but also what percentage were people sheltering in place during the economic shutdown and versus those that aren't sheltering in place, you know, how far are they traveling on a given day? Um, at a more complex level, we also look at travel between counties and travel to and from hotspots. So in the early days, especially, we were really interested, and a lot of our partners were interested in, you know, what are New York City residents doing? Are they staying put? Are they moving out to traditional vacation areas where we would call, you know, home switchers, folks that may move from Manhattan to the Hamptons or the Palm Beaches? Uh, And what we saw was in addition to that normal behavior, albeit that started a little bit earlier rather in the summer, we also see a lot of migrations and home switching Um, across the United States as people may be moving from cities to move into families, to rent out houses in the suburbs or in rural areas or what have you. Uh, Another measure that we look at and we'll dive into some examples and visualization soon is measuring the rate of close physical proximity in public places where anonymized users are coming into within 50 meters of each other in public places And we use this as a way to uh, have a proxy for the transmissibility. And so that public policymakers can think about what is the potential for reducing the R-naught in terms of reducing proximity in public places. And then finally, an area that we work in traditionally in the commercial realm, as well as for COVID-19 is understanding how visitation to key points of interest changes over time, not just in the retail and commercial realm, but also as related to public infrastructure like demand on hospitals, or for example, visitation to public parks and beaches as folks start to recreate a little bit more in the summer. Uh, So here we have a visualization of two of the metrics, which I discussed earlier. In the blue line here, we have our cubic mobility index, which shows the median distance traveled. This is nationally as compared to last year. So we have the baseline of what normal mobility was for 2019. And then the orange line here shows our contact index, you know, the frequency with which and the number with which users are coming into contact with each other in public places. And what we see is that users' mobility decreased drastically at peak social distancing in late March and early April, but it's almost back to normalcy now. I wouldn't quite call it business as usual, but Uh, Mobility is quite similar, just 1% less in early July as it was in July 2019. So people are moving more. But what we can see by looking at this contact index is that people are moving smarter. There's still social distancing and they're still not coming into contact with as many people in public places. So this really bottomed out and is highly correlated with mobility, for example, at the end of March. I think um, contacts were reduced to about 77% or sorry, 33% of their um, 2019 level, they decreased by 77%. But still in early July, even though people are moving around more, they are having 50% fewer contacts as they would in 2019. So these are just a, a couple tools that could be really helpful and are really helpful for our partners, not only in academia and the research realm, but also in the public policy realm and the humanitarian response realm as well. Uh, I don't know if I got a poll in in time. I kind of had an 11th hour idea. Um, if there is a poll, maybe we can serve it up now. And if not, maybe you can signal that I can just move ahead. Hey, go ahead. Um, okay, sorry about that. That's that's completely on me. I was going to ask, you know, what does the audience assume to be the most... Um, I wouldn't say problematic, but the retail verticals where foot traffic to those verticals is most highly correlated with test positivity rates. Unfortunately, a trend that we're seeing is that when states reopen, especially states that reopened a little bit early and are now having, unfortunately, very high positivity rates like Arizona, Florida and Georgia, we see that there's a positive linear relationship between increased foot traffic to bars, places with, you know, that serve drinks, and test positivity rates seven days later. Um, And of course, you know, we all know from our stats classes that correlation is not causation, but when there is such a high correlation across Arizona, Florida, and not pictured here, Georgia, you know, these could be interesting insights for the policymakers that we work with as they figure out how to manage economic reopening in a safe and responsible manner. So that's a little bit of how we've been working with academia and the public sector and even private sector um, collaborators for this first wave scenario, which has been a first wave tsunami. In terms of looking at future spikes and a future second wave scenario, uh, we're also very interested in developing privacy-centric public awareness campaigns to help support public service announcement in encouraging what we consider to be responsible behavior, like social distancing, uh, like getting your flu shot, or wearing a mask. So as Cubic is you know, a veteran in using mobility data to support the advertising industry, one area that we can help is by creating consumer segments to serve advertising to, to support some of these public service announcements. And we can develop consumer segments based on some of those aggregate metrics that we mentioned before, consumer segments that may be more likely to uh, visit restaurants and bars, or may be likely to have more contacts than other consumer segments. And then once those PSAs are served to those segments, we can also measure aggregate, say, visitation to see if there's any behavior change, if those segments may visit crowded places less, or if those segments may um, visit places where you can get your flu shot. Uh, So I would say that, you know, the first realm has very much been within this analytical, descriptive realm, and we continue to support those types of capacities in academia, private sector and public sector. And then moving forward, we're also very interested in supporting this prescriptive piece um, through both uh, what we call audiences and advertising measurement capabilities. Um, So with that, I'll turn it over to Jen and happy to meet offline with anyone interested in learning more.
3: Great, thank you so much Brennan. And let me share my screen now um, so I can... Hopefully, let's get that up and running. Can you guys see my screen in one minute? There we go. That should work. All right. Well, thank you. And um, I wanted to just remind everyone, bringing back from where Brendan was talking about, looking across the populations, MediSafe is a digital medication management application. It's an app that we have over 7 million um, registered users right now across the world. Um, We are helping um, the millions manage their medications. Our our users on average have over five medications that they're managing over 65. That number goes up to about um, seven. So there's a lot of comorbidities that we're supporting um, and working with pharma clients. We have about 10 um, global pharma clients that we're working with to really create resources um, for patients to be able to specifically treat their therapy, but it's not just that one medication that we're supporting. We're supporting the holistic medicine cabinet. Um, as we know, that, as I mentioned before, there are multiple medications that, um, that patients are, are managing. So in that realm, while we're supporting and our mission is to help with medication management, we are seeing a um, the data that comes in. And that's why we're um, here today. And um, that data is quite influential that we're seeing over, we have over 2 billion um, managed doses in our platform that equates to about a million doses daily that's going through the platform. We've done a lot of studies, as you'll see on the, um, the left-hand side, we've collaborated with IQVIA in probably over a, almost a dozen studies at this point doing Um, Retrospective studies matching our real-world evidence and self-reported evidence to medication possession ratios to to confirm the Rx claims to what we're getting reporting um, and and seeing the increase and lift in in the adherence and extension of persistence um, using a digital companion. Um, in addition, we've been um, not rated, uh, published in a um, in JAMA and JAMA, and have um, endorsements of the number one medication app um, from the American Pharmacists Association as well. So, with all that said, um, when COVID, um, when the pandemic started hitting in early March, we um, as a team said to ourselves, you know, what what can we do as a medication app? Um, we see activity that's going through our platform. Um, we see we have the support mechanisms in place, but, but how do we know what the mindset of the patient really looks like and what's going into that consumer sentiment about this overwhelming feeling of the pandemic setting in, focusing on medication management? So we launched two surveys, one in mid-March and another in mid-April. And with these surveys, as you'll see on the left-hand side here, this is a rendering of our app um, or a screenshot of our app. And we have an update section where we actually did an in-app survey and had over 11,000 responses within days. We were absolutely um, overwhelmed with the amount of quick responses we had over an age range that actually um, is kind of focuses more on the average age around 49 um, of the, for the respondents. And what we found also is that when we looked at the respondents, there's a a breakdown in all the different conditions that they're treating, primarily, as you can see, those that are treating cancers um, as the predominant um, condition, but really a sampling across a lot of the conditions. We were really surprised with how responsive consumers are and were during this time. Um, We ask a very open-ended question in our survey. App surveys are about three to five questions at most, and you gotta be quick with them. Um, But you know, it's what else can we do? And the fact that we were checking in, even though we're an app and people don't we don't talk to people, we're helping them manage, they wanted connection. They wanted to have that sense during and the social distancing and a feeling of isolation that somebody's there for them, someone's caring for them. So that's what this survey provided them with a sense that we are touching base. Um, but let's go through what we learned about them is that not all patients um, have the same reaction in during this um, in medication management. It really, uh, when we asked them what their concerns were about their medication management routine during the pandemic, as you can see on this chart below, primarily um the, and, um the question that toll asked um consumers to choose all that applied um but the primary uh, primarily we were concerned about accessing medications during the pandemic and getting treated um if infected however when we started looking at the segmentations behind um these answers we saw differences in some outliers especially in those consumers who are 49 and younger they had um a higher concern about accessing medications higher concerns about missing doses, and actually slightly higher in affording their medications. But when we looked into the specific conditions that patients were treating, we also saw some differences. And that, um, in accessing medications, was apparent with those that are treating depression, I'm very concerned over the average um, of being able to access medications. And when it came to feeling vulnerable, the, the medications were making them feel vulnerable, um, patients treating lymphomas were by far um, very um, feeling very vulnerable about this. So that's where, you know, we as a medication uh, management app can work with clients and starting to support them and their needs during, during this first wave. Um, and as we go into um, the discussion here is what can we do for a second wave? It's being able to learn who are those patients that are feeling more vulnerable or having concerns about access or financial um, affording their medications and how do we get in front of that um, another um, we i think we heard from the panel before about how routines um, have changed during the um, during the pandemic especially the first wave as we heard um, we actually have reported um, from our patients that almost four, um, over 45 percent about 47 percent were missing doctors' appointments yet turning to digital health for, for that supplement. Um, and though um, a lot were missing the labs as well. So that traditional care model was not in place, but looking to a future care model to be able to supplement it. Um, those that were missing doctor's appointments were patients um, that exceeded, you know, that were over the average that we saw were um, patients that were treating GI or ultracive colitis um, the psoriatic of um, arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, and those again um, treating lymphomas were unfortunately um, above average in meeting their um, in missing their doctor's appointments. However, those turning to telemedicine were primarily from the U.S., under 49, and those treating depression as well. Um, I do want to note that we are look that um, there is a whole talk about telemedicine and telehealth. Yet we are digital health. And I think there's a whole opportunity here with the impact that digital health can play um, in between all those telehealth visits as well, which is evident from the activity that we're seeing um, in the app. So um, to follow on that, what we did as a result of, of hearing from our consumers, wanting that touch um, to us the touch base, keeping them informed is that we sought out a partnership with everyday health and we created a digital um, resource center, the COVID 19 resource center, where we were able to um, provide the content from Everyday Health and were able to um, syndicate it if, or to, um, to target it to those with specific conditions as well to make it relevant. Um, what you're seeing here on the left hand side is a chart about the click through rate of content by condition. On average, our click through rate and this content was 48.5%. Um, and you can see that the averages across all the different conditions as well. This is really astronomical. It's phenomenal when you look at that targeted ads and our MetaSafe average click-through rate on content is far below that. So the relevance and the immediacy and seeking the information is, is really what the patients were looking for at this time. So, I want to um, just kind of end on the note of you know what this, what to think about and how to prepare with a, a second wave. Um, you know, a lot of what we've heard before is is, is using the traditional sources of data that are um, are out there, but where we sit is, is with real time real world evidence and the ability to see what's going on today. Um, from a consumer behavior standpoint, and I want to um, also um, press upon that's where the whole digital therapeutics platform, um, all of the um, companies sit, Um, and that it's the real world evidence that can give you the early indicators of behavioral patterns, the ability to check in with patients and be able to get feedback on what's what's going on in, in their world today or our world today. Um, from MetaSafe, what we have with um, on the AWS Exchange are all the different touch points with patients across medication management. So understanding who they are, what's in their medicine cabinet, what sort of financial support they need to their medication behaviors, um, and to tracking measurements as well. So you can start looking at the different behaviors to be able to understand um, what that um, indication, where that, um, where that's going for, um, for the second wave and how to better help them. So with that, I will um, turn it back to Fred. Uh, Jen, my screen.
1: Yeah, Jen, no, thank you very much. Uh, I think the audience was able to get a good sense of the granular detail that you can provide related to patients' therapeutic journeys um, here overall. And I'm very delighted to hear that the digital companion of the MetaSafe app has become Wilson the volleyball for many people.
3: Uh, <laughs> I like that. I'm going to have to use that reference. Supporting them. Time, it really uh, them. has been. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, Brennan, um, quick question for you. Um, will we ever greet any, each other with hugs anymore? I'm just asking for a friend.
2: I hope so. I'm a big hugger, um, but, but I think we'll have to wait and see. Maybe if we have face shields.
1: Yeah. In all seriousness, the bad jokes aside, um, what, what's the most exciting thing that you're seeing related to how customers are using uh, cubic and geolocation data um, from the pandemic itself?
2: Yeah, for me, I I would say it's not necessarily a specific application. Uh, It's more just the overall embracing of uh, alternative data sets, of course, with with all caveats fully understood Um, and seeing non-traditional stakeholders. So, you know, I would say that for a while, our Data for Good program was just really focused on academic research. Um, What we've seen is since COVID-19, Similar data sets, a single dashboard can be utilized not only by academia, but also by the public sector. Um, by, you know, the same dashboard could use, be used by the CDC, a big box retailer, uh, and you know, a, a PhD candidate doing their dissertation. So I think it's really interesting to see how these highly aggregated data sets can have so many applications. And, and it just, I think, really extends their value, which is, which is great to see.
1: Great, great. Well, thank you both. Uh, Your organizations have been giving a lot of uh, customers and partners those aha moments. Uh, And for the audience, I certainly encourage you to uh, book some time uh, with Brennan and Jen uh, so you can also share in some of those lessons and uh, use cases as well. So thank you.
0: Great. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Don't forget, the data providers that you've just seen are ready and waiting to meet with you via Battlefin Connect. Visit battlefin.com for more details and stay tuned for details about our next event.